You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we are rapidly approaching everybody's favorite season, tax season. And <laughs> that is... Actually, nobody's favorite season. I don't even think it's the accountant's favorite season, at least the accountants that I know. They're like, you know, I'm going to talk to you for like, you know, the 15 minutes that I'm obligated to. But we are joined today by Julie Harris. She's an accountant and owner of Greed Oak Accounting, and she is going to spend much longer than 15 minutes with us today. So that way we can get some good tax advice wrapping up here at the end of 2020 and kind of going forward into 2021, managing some of our stuff. So that way this whole tax discussion isn't as bad as it seems. So thank you, Julie, for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here. You've been a great friend to our show and to our conference. We have loved to, to collaborate with you. So the question we ask all of our guests is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? And I love that question. So I'm Julie Harris. I'm the owner of Green Oak Accounting. I also have a podcast, which is Therapy for Your Money, um, where we talk about all things money and finance for private practice. So my team and I specialize in working with therapists in private practice. And so what we put into the world, I would say, is we truly believe every practice should be profitable. So we want every practice owner to be making a profit and be able to make a living from their practice. And that's what we do on the financial side is help business owners either get profitable, increase profitability, and really be able to sustain their lifestyle. I love that. What do you find that a lot of therapists tend to get wrong about the the financial end of their practices? Because you're with Green Oak Accounting focusing on on therapist practices, I'm sure that you see some pretty common things that if we can just help our audience not make those same mistakes that a lot of people tend to make. But what what are those mistakes that you see happen? Well, sure. Well, so this time of year, one that comes to mind is not saving for taxes, right? And today. There's no time like the present. Today is still better than next month. But if <laughs> you if you're if you haven't been saving for taxes throughout the year, this is the time to start looking at that because it's not too late, right? Your taxes aren't due quite yet. But as you start putting that together, at least in in my firm, a lot of our clients have had a really good year, and then the the PPP has added an interesting element to that. A lot of practice owners did take advantage of that program. And so what that's creating is additional an additional tax burden. And so looking at the numbers is probably my number two, and they're kind of interrelated, right? Because if you're not looking at the numbers, you don't know how much you made, you don't know how much you should be saving mm -hmm. for taxes. But there are there's just so much useful information in the financials. And I think it's a common mistake not to look at it or just to, to do it in a compliance sense, but not analyze and look at like, what, what are the numbers telling us about this business? Because you can uncover a lot of, of different things there to be able to really make some data-driven decisions versus some gut feeling decisions. So I like the data-driven decisions. Obviously, yes. that's what I that's what I do. But that's a that's a mistake that comes up often is either leaving all the bookkeeping to the end of the year and not really looking at it or having it done but not really looking at what the numbers are are saying. What are the kind of things that 
practice owners learn once they actually start looking at those numbers? Well, there's a lot of different things. So <laughs> where, where to start? So when we do the numbers in my firm, we for our clients, we organize the expenses in a couple of different categories. So one of the main categories we look at is rent. And for some practices, that's even going away this year. We look at overhead. Typically, we look at clinician pay if there is if there are clinicians. We look at admin as well. And then officer owner compensation, right? So and that that compensation might be wages, depending on the entity and profit. So we look at that whole, like, what is the owner taking home basically in taxable income as a whole? So based on when we, when we separate the expenses that way versus looking at a really long p l where you're looking at, you know, office supplies and bank fees and you know, each individual <laughs> item that helps us kind of get a sense of general ratios. So by looking at that way, it's a little less overwhelming as far as what do I do next or what do I focus on next? So if you if you look at your ratios that way and you see, you know, my rent is really completely out of whack. It's way too big of a percentage of my total income. So then you can focus your efforts there and fix that problem because that might not be a rent problem, right? It could be that your rent is really high, but there's solutions there. There could be, you could sublet the space, which is a little bit harder to do right now, but six months, you know, a year ago, that was very much within the realm of possibility. You could look at, you know, breaking the lease, but often what we find is just this space is too big for the revenue that the business is generating. So let's find a way to increase the revenue either by adding clinicians, right? Or you seeing more clients. Cause sometimes we've, we've had clients come in and they have rented this big, beautiful space and it's gorgeous, but it's just them and they're seeing 10 clients a week. And so that oh, makes wow. the numbers <laughs> like, right. That, that means the numbers are out of whack. So there are lots of different solutions, but then we can kind of focus the efforts in that one place that it, that needs the most help and then move on once that's fixed. You're throwing out words that I don't think a lot of therapists are are used to really looking at money with, like, like ratios and plans. And, you know, I, I'm trying to poke a, a little bit of, of fun at this here because for a lot of therapists who don't feel prepared uh, of being business people entering into things, what I'm really taking out of this is it is well worth it to hire somebody who knows money and can sit you down and force you to have some of these uncomfortable conversations to look at the way that money happens to be more than just kind of like, oh, I'm bringing in this much or conceptualizing it as I just need to have four sessions in a month to cover my rent. That having a good intentional and oftentimes uncomfortable discussion is a really big necessity of having that profitable practice. I think so. The reality is most therapists didn't go to also to business school, right? That does happen once in a while, but for, it, it is the exception more than the rule. And owning a practice is much more than just being a great clinician and taking care of your clients. There's a lot of other pieces to that. And I think ignoring the business side can be a mistake because if the practice isn't profitable, ultimately the therapist cannot continue their mission forever, right? Eventually you will either run out of money or your spouse won't support you anymore, right? Like something will happen that will force you either to go back to work for someone else or close down the, the practice. That's just the reality, right? As much as it's not fun, we need, we all need money to live uh, to yeah. some extent. So, so focusing 
on that, not in a, a greedy way, but in a, I want to be a good person or you're a good steward of the money that's coming in of the, into this business and be sustainable both for myself and my lifestyle and for my clients. Like that's a, a very reasonable thing to do. And I'm imagining that there's a lot of folks that either right now they're listening or they've been in this kind of pre-contemplation, contemplation phase of, I really should get a handle on my numbers. I should understand it. And maybe they've just been putting receipts in a box or maybe they are just doing, you know, what I was initially doing, which was, I called it my bank account accounting, which is everything went in and out of the bank account. I wasn't looking at it, but everything was going in and out of that account. So I had a little bit of an idea, but it seems to me that there's a proactive step to really being a strong business owner. But we're at the end of December or towards the end of December and folks are like, oh no. (laughs) so what can how hard is it to like clean up your books to write the ship like how hard is it to kind of take a really messy financial picture from your practice and and actually get to this place where you're digging in and and getting yourself on track to to be profitable to to have this kind of a practice that you're talking about there's degrees, right. Of, of, uh, (laughs) writing this ship. So, uh, more money, more problems tends to be true in this case. One of the, the good things that can be done is if all of the business transactions are actually happening in the business bank account, that's ideal, right? That's the ideal situation where at least you can look at that and have a good sense of, of what's going on. That's I call that bank balance bookkeeping where you're just pulling up the app and looking like, is there money? Okay, we're good, Um, generally speaking. But for tax purposes, that doesn't really help us. But at least you could reliably take the the bank statements. And a lot of clients have confessed to us that in previous years, they would just lock themselves in their office for for at least a whole weekend with their bank statements and kind of just plow through all of it, like just get that into Excel and and categorize all those transactions and and just do it at the end of the year. So so that is a, a possibility. Other times we'll see, you know, someone say, I got QuickBooks. I really, really tried, but I messed everything up. And like the positives are negative and all that happened. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If that's the case, that's okay. Like my team and I, we actually really love those cases. We love, it's a little bit like untangling a ball of yarn, figuring out what actually happened. Like we see what's here, (laughs) but what actually did happen Um, so that, that can usually be a situation where you want to get some professional help because it's going to take us a lot less time to fix something like that than someone who's inexperienced, right? We work with QuickBooks literally all day long. We know what to do, but then also you can write the ship and you might still be able to take over and do things correctly, but at least you can look back at what a professional did and say like, Oh, that's what I was supposed to do. And then you at least know what it, what it's supposed to look like. So I find that that can be, that can be really, really helpful, but tackling it, just getting ahead of it and getting that information together. It really is useful at the end of the year to look at what happened and start planning ahead too for next year, right? If you have a sense of how much it costs you to operate your business, like you can prepare just a very basic budget for the following year And that can be really, really helpful, especially if there's any plans of growth to just try to track that and see, you know, what do I need to to do to get to my financial goal? As we are kind of looking at budgeting for the next year in 2021 and not knowing, depending on where you're at in the country, not knowing where COVID's going to be, is it appropriate to have part of that budget just be like, 
I don't know, WTF. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because part of things that like Katie and I do, you know, with our, our conference or when it comes to like travel stuff, it's just so hard to predict out there. For therapists who are looking to make some of those next steps, is it possible to have kind of a, an idea in an uncertain time like this? Sure. Well, and I like to think of a a budget and a forecast as a a living, breathing thing. So just because you put it on paper right now, doesn't mean it's not allowed to change. It can absolutely be updated and there can be a WTF line item either in the, in the income or the expenses. And so we often, often use that to some extent when we're looking at clients who say, you know, for example, I want to double my business next year, or I want to go to a hundred thousand, a million dollars, whatever that dollar amount may be. Like we try to have a financial plan. Part of that is usually left up to luck, right? You might not get quite there, but like, ah, something was probably, we'll leave some of it up to chance. And so I mean that in the, in the growth sense, but like, it's okay to have a line item saying, you know, COVID expenses and allocate something to that. Cause we don't really, we don't really know. And that might end up being PPE. It could end up being legal expenses to get out of a lease. Like it could be a lot of different things, but um, it doesn't have to be down to the penny. There's no judgment if you end up going a little over, a little under budget. It's really meant just as a guide to to help you and also sometimes give you permission to spend as a business owner because th- that's okay too, right? There are expenses in a business and that's normal. And I do want to ask about if you're talking about planning ahead here a little bit and this being the very end of 2020 right now, it is there things that people can do even just to plan ahead for the conversations that they're going to be having with their accountants about their 2020 taxes that, that they can use these last couple of weeks right now to spend, 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 or, you know, be like, here, I need to allocate this kind of money towards what my tax payments can end up being. Yeah. Well, so uh, quarterly estimated tax payments are due January 15th. You know, it's a good time to plan ahead for that. At the year end, it's a good time to look at if there's any expenses that need, that can be accelerated. And by that, I mean, if there's any expenses that were maybe slotted or planned for January and February, can you pay those in December if there's cash available in the business? Um, like, be- like therapy reimagined conference tickets. Like- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like that's necessary and appropriate in, in 2020. Sure. Exactly. Woo. I never encourage people to to buy things that they don't need, right? Because uh, just to, to do some some real simple math, if you're spending $100 on something that you don't need, and if you are in a 24% tax bracket, that means you're saving $24 in taxes. But if you don't <laughs> need the thing, you're spending, you're still out $100. So I only, I, I, I really like to focus on this because sometimes you'll hear stories of accountants go, you know, saying, "Oh, just buy, a, you know, buy, go buy a car." But like if you don't need a car, that's not a good, yeah, move. That's not a good move. So, buy if there's things that you need. I'm thinking like software, prepay your virtual assistant, prepay your conference tickets, right? Like sometimes you can pay a whole year of software ahead and get a discount. Uh, that's a win, right? I so that's definitely something I would do if there's cash available. Those are the kinds of expenses. Uh, that I would do a lot of times professional services, you can prepay. So the, the you, know, you can prepay rent, you can pay two, two months of rent at, at once. You know, those are all little things that you can do. Retirement planning is also, a, it's a great time of year to think about it. Depending That can depend on what is available to you. If you already have a 401k in your business, which some business owners will, then 
max that out as much as you can, right? There might be one payroll left. So like, there's not a whole lot of time, but max that out. Even if you don't, uh, as the business owner, have a 401k, maybe your spouse has one, they can max out their 401k. That's still, because all the income flows through to the household tax return. In most cases, with the exception of a C corporation, the income flows through from the, the uh, pass-through entities to the personal tax return. So just reducing the income of the household helps. But there's also IRAs that are available. So that's a personal retirement uh, vehicle, but that still, again, reduces your, your household income as long as you're within the threshold. So you you could contribute 6,000, your spouse could contribute 6,000, and that's a, a deduction as well. So like all of those little things are doable. If you have an HSA, you can also max that out before the end of the year. Actually, after the end of the year, you can still do a retroactive contribution. So there's some things that you can do into 2021 as well. So IRAs are, are some, HSA as well. So those are all some some of the tips that, that you can uh, take advantage of. Well, and to me, it seems like these would be things that would be important to talk about with an accountant or financial planner where you can kind of make sure that you're investing appropriately, whether it's uh, an IRA, SEP IRA, whatever it is, you know, making sure that you know what maxing it out is, because that depends yes. on the income of the the practice. And I think it's it's something where getting good advice right now, if, if you're listening to this in December, or you're listening to this into January, February, March, like getting really good advice, and some of these things you can still do retroactively, it seems like it would make a lot of sense, especially if your practice has a higher tax burden, because you made more money, or you got, you know, some of these additional loans, it seems like there's more complexity for practice owners this year, because of those loans. And I guess it just, it, I feel like it just means that there needs to be more knowledge than clinicians typically have in order yeah. to, to make sure that you're not getting yourself running afoul of either taxes or these yeah. loans. It is a little more complicated this year, just because of all the different programs that there have been. Yeah, it just is. So an accountant will usually be able to give you some ideas as far as like what plans might work for you based on your situation, right? Because depending on if you have a 401k in the business, is a, does a set make sense, right? Like which does a simple make sense? Most accountants are not licensed for security, so won't be able to open those plans for you, but sure. then we'll point you in the right direction and give you an idea of like what's tax advantageous for you. And then you can have a conversation also with your financial planner as well. And usually they can do that. Sometimes a lot of payroll companies also will offer retirement plans. So that's an option as well. There's there's a lot of options out there. I do recommend getting some help as far as like the calculations of everything. Yeah. When it comes to some of those expenses and things that people can write off or or when they do have their accountants being like, you do need to spend some money here. We hear all sorts of really bad spending advice from other therapists who have not gone to tax accounting school and become <laughs> accountants. And so we hear rumors from like, you know, there's legitimate business things like rent and, and you know, continuing education, licensing fees, this kind of stuff. Are there things that like paying for your own personal therapy that can be written off as a business expense? Or is this just bad advice being given and passed around as rumors in the, in the therapist community? Good question. So I would always caution people against taking tax advice from a Facebook group because you really usually <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I see that's shockingly often. Yes. But if you so don't do know, 
where this person, like, what is their background? Where are they coming from? So I would, I would just caution against that. There's a lot of gray zones and therapy is certainly one of them. I, I will call it a gray zone. So if, if it's truly like your personal therapy, personal expenses are not deductible by the business. But if it is in a lot of cases, it is more of a consultation, right? Where you're a, a peer consult that could be deductible. So it really depends on like your specific situation. That certainly would be something that you do have to issue a 1099 for because that is a professional service. So you just want to probably be be clear upfront on what exactly the expectation is there. But truly personal expenses are not are not tax deductible. Because I, I I even heard people, and this is a total tangent. So this is just comment unless you think it's worth continuing to talk about. But like I had people talk about like, well, I got this outfit and this my hair done for a video. So I'm gonna charge those to the business. And like it like it feels like it can get like the gray zones can be extremely, you know, risky depending on how far you take them. As I'm watching Julie listening to Katie's question, I'm seeing Julie's eye twitch in the same way that <laughs> mine does when clients are like, so I did this totally off-label thing that makes no sense in what way. <laughs> yes, I get the I get the twitch. There's a there's a lot of questionable advice out there. So as far as you and the IRS typically is very clear. In most cases, is is pretty clear. So uniforms are tax deductible, buying a suit or uh, an outfit just because you're going to be on camera, that is not tax deductible. So the the IRS (laughs) is clear here where if you can wear an outfit for another purpose, it is not deductible. Not that you do, right? So some people will say, well, I bought a suit because I had to go to court. So that's deductible. You could wear that to a wedding or a funeral or to a job interview. You could wear it somewhere else. If it's uh, like a uniform, like scrubs, that would be deductible because you can't it's not commonly accepted that you would wear that somewhere else. If you're having your hair done professionally, right? Just as a one-off because you are recording a video that day, I think that probably would be considered deductible, not getting your highlights done, just like a blowout, right? Something like that. I think in most cases mm-hmm. that could muster, but not every week, right? So so there, there's a lot of gray zones <laughs> there. And like all of your makeup supply does not automatically become deductible because you recorded one YouTube video. So like those are, that's where you want to yes. have that conversation, and this time of year, we get a lot of questions about gifts because there are limitations. The, the gift limitation uh, for the IRS is $25 per gift. And that's super low, right? You, you're you really cheap boss if you only buy $25 gifts for your team. It's like, oh, how can I make it more deductible? And one client asks us, oh, my old accountant used to just say, buy the gifts and put them in uniforms. And that's totally illegal, right? It's so like, that's not, that's not allowed. We can't do that. <laughs> And that doesn't mean you can't buy gifts for your team. You just, a portion of it is non-deductible. That's all there is to it. So buy the nice gift. Well, I think the other thing too is, is I heard, you know, giving gifts to, you know, potential referral sources and that kind of stuff. Like there's probably ethical stuff around that. So Kurt and I can talk about that in another episode, but like this was in a just kind of general business thing. And it was like, well, if it's, if it's a gift, it can only be $25, but if it's swag, then it's a marketing expense. And so if it's like you give a bottle of wine, but it's a completely branded bottle of wine, then all of a sudden it's swag and you can give it away at whatever cost it is. Like there's, it seems like everybody's trying to find these loopholes. And there there are, there are certainly gray zones there, right? Because the, as far as advertising rules, if you can, if you're advertising, like supporting a local t-ball league or soccer league right for example 
if you can reasonably expect to get business from having your business name and logo in the program, you know, technically that is advertising, right? Not that you're necessarily, that you can prove that you got business from it, but that you can reasonably expect that doing yeah. this is creating goodwill. So like there are, there are certainly are some, a lot of, a lot of little gray zones there. So that's another potential opportunity for people if they need to uh, spend some money for next year early is we've got podcasts and, and conference sponsorships, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. One of the questions we get a lot is, you know, what exactly, like, how can I deduct things? And the IRS is, definition is an expense has to be ordinary and necessary to be deductible. And so that doesn't mean that it's indispensable. It just means that it's commonly accepted in the industry. So you could run a practice without ever running a Google ad campaign. That's certainly possible, but it's also very acceptable that you would run a Google ad campaign because that's going to create more income and more tax for the IRS, right? So, So it just has to be reasonable and normal. So if we make things standard practice, like paying for our own therapy, then we can convince the IRS collectively that what we're doing is, is Julie's Possibly. eye is twitching Take again. It on. Possibly. <laughs> Julie's exactly. eye is twitching again. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to shift gears here a little bit. There's there's a number of different ways that therapists can set up their their practice as a business. We hear about sole props, we hear about S Corps. In some states, people can have LLCs, in some states they can't. What makes the most sense for most people in private practice? The two of you are in is in California, and in California, a licensed professional cannot be an LLC, right? And right. so, it, it, in the case of California, basically your options are you can be a sole proprietor, so doing business as yourself with your your own name, or a PC, which is a professional corporation. In that case, for liability purposes and not tax purposes, it usually makes sense to be. A professional corporation because for tax purposes it usually would make sense to be sole proprietor. So, so there's differences there where you know the tax benefit might not necessarily correlate to the legal benefit. But then, as you mentioned, Kurt, in most states an LLC is allowed. And so, for someone just starting out, I always like the protection of an LLC. And I'm I'm not an attorney, so this is just my you know my opinion. I like the the legal protection of an LLC um, at the very least because it doesn't always make sense to have an S-Corp right away. And that is probably the advice I see the most often given in a Facebook group is, oh, you should you should, you should should be an S-Corp. Uh, my accountant said it was a great idea. And that truly depends on so many different factors. It depends on all the income coming into the household. It depends on how much uh, income is coming in through the business. But then in 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act added another layer of complication to that with QBI, which is a qualified business income. Uh, And that's a a 20% deduction that doesn't behave the same way for a sole proper analysis and an S corporation. So I know it can be really tempting to save some money and do it on your own, but it's not always tax advantageous. We've seen plenty of people do their own S corp election. And then we realize uh, once they start working with us like that, Tax-wise, they're actually paying a lot more in taxes because they're not able to take advantage of some deductions. But then also, there's a lot more compliance costs, and so do you know doing an ele- an election on your own and not knowing what the compliance requirements are that can get you in hot water as well. Where like you've missed some things and the deadlines are different and you haven't run payroll, and that can get you into some trouble as well. well and I think it can be like you said, it can be so different based on different 
you know, like what money is coming into your household. So it's not like, oh, and, and a lot of people say like, oh, well, if I'm making over $100,000 or the revenue in my practice is over $100,000, I should be an S-corp. Or if I'm at $30,000, I should be an S-corp. Or I should be a sole proprietor. Like, the, like it's such a complex decision that it really is something where you want to talk both to probably a business attorney as well as your accountant to identify exactly how to balance both the liability and the tax burdens. Because I think for, you know, when the more recent, as far as I understand it, the more recent tax laws actually provided some relief for corporations <laughs> that may have shifted the the math and, and that may shift again come any kind of tax changes and tax laws that come up in 2021. So it's, it just, it feels like to me, oftentimes four-dimensional chess and it, and it really is important to, to speak to those professionals who can help look at your individual situation. It, it really is quite complex. And years ago, it used to be a, a slam dunk, right? If you were at a hundred thousand, it could make sense. It, it would usually make sense to go the S corp route. But one thing to keep in mind is there are some states that do not recognize S-Corp status. And so that means that in those states, the business is actually taxed as a C-Corp. And so if you're you're looking at just the IRS side, sure, there might be a tax savings there, but that can be offset completely and then some by the additional tax that's now going to be paid at the state level. But so what we look, just, just to give you an example, what we look for, if you have a single member LLC, if you're in a state that allows that, and you have $50,000 in income, there's additional compliance costs, right? There's an additional tax return, you have to run payroll, and you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So there's a lot of different little pieces that are going to add up to usually like two to $3,000 per year in additional costs. So you want to make sure that your tax savings is at least that if you're going to to make the change. But then if you're in a situation where there's a very a high income spouse, that's making bringing in $400,000 a year, that changes the numbers, right? Automatically that sure. changes the numbers because there are some deductions that you have phased out of. And so like those are all the pieces of the puzzle that we take into consideration when we're looking at that. Well, and the tax laws are changing all the time. And so even if you fully learn it and understand it in this moment, it could be changing in six months. Yes. Well, and changes <laughs> are, chances are the new administration won't change things retroactively, but the game could change completely in 2021. Yeah. We don't really know what that's going to, to look like yet. So it's not the S corp is not always a slam dunk. Sometimes it makes sense to start small and just grow and just reevaluate every year. I think it's a good idea to have that conversation and to reevaluate, but not just to assume that because someone else said it was a good idea that it automatically is. Are there changes for 2021 that small business owners and therapists should be aware of when it comes to planning the way that they'll be preparing for their 2021 tax returns at this time next year? It is it is pretty early for that. There certainly are rumors that there could be higher tax brackets specifically for high income earners could be coming down the line probably wouldn't, it, it might change mid-year if there was new tax legislation. That might change how we calculate quarterly estimated tax payments. Because generally those are, when you get vouchers with your tax return, if you get vouchers, those are usually 
calculated based on the last year's tax. So they're depending on how much you earn, you either have to pay 100% or 110% in estimated tax based on what you owed the previous year. So we look at that and that's a known thing. We don't know exactly what you're going to to make this year. So so we can look at the known and calculate estimates. So if I had to to guess, we're going to have to probably rework those numbers mid-year if there is new tax legislation. I would plan on possibly earning or owing a little bit more, but not if you're, my my best guess is not if you're under the 300,000 range. That would be my guess. So for folks who are looking to, whether it's clean up their books or, or actually be more proactive in planning, to me, it seems like having a trusted advisor, someone that can help you both now for any kind of last minute 2020 stuff, but also in the planning for 2021, because there is more complexity and there may be some big changes. And so to me, what I'm just hearing is that, and I think I've been saying a lot of it too, but just like, make sure that you recognize that you don't know this stuff. And not knowing this stuff could be very harmful for the profitability of your business, but also the compliance of your business with with what you need to be doing. And and some of the stuff you can just pay a fine or you can just kind of get back on track or or pay an overdue fee, so to speak. But some of it actually could really hinder your ability to to be a private practice owner long term. It could. And and as a uh, a clinician, it's not your job to keep up with all of that, right? So if you have a trusted advisor, whether that's an accountant, just a tax preparer, a bookkeeper, someone who's staying on top of these things and all the changes, right? We just had changes to the PPP deductibility a couple of weeks ago. It's staying on top of that and sharing that information with you, that's worth something as well, right? So that you can have peace of mind. Like when I need to know something, when there's something that's big, they're going to be able to uh, share with me and explain it in in terms that makes sense to me, not in you know IRS uh, speak, <laughs> and and that's that's valuable as well, right? That's a valuable piece of the relationship as well. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yes. Where can people find you and about all of the services that you offer at Green Oak Accounting? So listeners can head over to greenoakaccounting.com slash tax where you can grab our free tax planning checklist. And you can also schedule a free consultation with my team. If you'd like to find out more about our services, you can also check out therapyforyourmoney.com where we talk about all financial topics for therapists in private practice. And we'll include links to all of that in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And we've had Green Oak Accounting as a sponsor before on the show. And we've had a couple of our modern therapists reach out to us and let us know how happy they are with the services over there. So some of our community has really enjoyed working with Julie and her team. And once again, thank you for your time today. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Julie Harris. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 